if there's one thing I want to convey this morning <clears throat> is how much God loves you. You know, he's our father, he's our friend, he's our provider, his ears are open to our prayers, and it even says that he is intimately acquainted with everything that's going on in your life. That's pretty cool. He loves us amazing the way he loves us. You know, and that's the way Paul writes beginning in Philippians. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to God for you. And I pray for you. You're in my heart. You're dear to me. And he was explaining to them how much he loved them. But he was really expressing the heart of God for each one of us. You know, when Paul was in jail even, you know, hard times, uh, he said, oh, it all worked out for my good. Being in jail, he said, oh, I worked for my good. Everybody knows Christ now. Christ was preached, you know, and all the guys there, they, uh, they're bold now than themselves to share the Lord. You know, what a tremendous, tremendous attitude of faith. Of faith. And in the jail, what does he do? He just begins to praise the Lord. And he gets set free, and it's amazing, you know, when they get see the, the first question they ask, what do we got to do to be saved? They knew what happened. Something uh, happened more than uh, met the eye. And, you know, Paul says, he says, I'll always be bold. He says, I live to honor Christ, no matter what the circumstance was. And, uh, you know, I just want to lay a foundation to the real verse I want to get to in a minute. And he says to him, he says, you want to make me happy? He said, agree wholeheartedly with each other. Be in unity. You know, love each other, work together, no selfishness, no competition, humble and interested in others. Uh, that's a good uh, challenge for all of us. You know, and there's three times throughout this book of Philippians, we'll get to it that he actually tells them how they ought to think. And he's, um, he says, let this attitude be the same that Christ had being you. It says, he was God. He didn't cling to any advantage. He didn't think he was too good. He made himself a humble servant, and he died the death of his cross because his love for the Lord was so great, which is almost beyond our comprehension but he says, this is the way you ought to think. Nothing's too good. I'm not too good for whatever I might have to do. I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to lay my life down. I'm willing to be humble. Um, you know, it says, but we know what happened. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. You know, out of his sacrifice and out of his obedience you know God says the same thing many times about us you humble yourself he'll exalt you you lose your life you'll find it you know it's it's a tremendous thing to obey God and find the benefits from obeying God sometimes when it's not easy it's not what you would choose, but you go ahead and do it. And um, there's tremendous blessings in laying our life down and losing our life. 
And uh, when we do that, he says he gives us favor, there's blessings, and he, what, he is always at work in each one of us, it says, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We all need that. You know, when he works in our hearts that you should do whatever it might be, that's the thing to do. Um, you know, sometimes it's like it's not always what we want to hear. You know, and he goes on later and he, he's, he's going somewhere. You know, he said circumcision was a big deal back then. And uh, really, circumcision was legalism or self-righteousness or it was about, look at me. And there was a lot of controversy, a lot of arguments about it. But he said, we rely on what Christ has done for us. And we put no confidence in human effort. You know, he said that the real circumcision is the circumcision of our heart. When our heart is cut off from the things of the world, from anything like that, that's real circumcision. And he goes on and he starts to begin to talk about his credentials that were a major part of his life. Um, he, was a, he was a Pharisee. He was a zealot. He was a legalistic, self-righteous, proud. Um, he said, you want to brag or you want to compete? He said, I'll compete with any of you. My credentials are better than anybody. He says, as far as keeping the law, I was perfect. I mean, what a statement. I mean, but he said, um, I obeyed the law without fault. He says things that are almost beyond your comprehension, but that's who he was. He was a tough-nosed, tough cookie, and uh, he, he was something else. And he gets to the point, his, he begins to understand that his confidence was in the wrong thing. He began to realize all of this was idolatry. All those credentials were his identity and his confidence. And I can relate myself, maybe most of you can relate. When you come to God, he's going to start dealing with all those things. If there's things that are your identity or that you're proud of, or those are the things that make you look good, um, no, that's not it. I can remember when I was convicted, burn all your records, sell your gun collection, get rid of your friends, stood in the driveway, watched my best friend drive out of the driveway, and I stood in the driveway and cried. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me because he wasn't really a good friend. And God gave me much better friends. But you got to do this before you get this. You know, if there's things that God is convicting you about to give up, give them up. Because you'll be free. And then he says, he says, I thought all those things were valuable, but now they're worthless. He says, everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. You know, that is the attack of the old enemy and every one of us. Your performance, run faster, 
do more, jump higher, and it'll never be high enough. When you look at your own performance to gain righteousness or, you know, pat on the back, he just keeps raising the bar and you'll fail. But when your righteousness is found in Jesus Christ, you're secure. I love the song. It says, my one defense, when he comes to accuse us, what's your one defense? Your righteousness because of what he did. He's the only one that forgive our sins and can set us free and give us righteousness and give us peace and fill our hearts with hope. And he goes so far that he says, I want to suffer with him, sharing his, in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience his life. What a, what a goal. And this next verse is really what I want to concentrate on this morning. He says something here that's um, it's simple but profound. And I'll read what he said. He says, that, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. See, he's referring to when God got a hold of him and knocked him off his donkey and he was going in the wrong direction. And this apprehended word is not a word that we use that often. But if you apprehend somebody, you get a hold of them. You know, you capture them or you pursue them or you tackle them. Or, so, so he says, he realized that he was apprehended. And the challenge for us, every one of us that has accepted the Lord has been apprehended from something and for something. That is the key. And he says, Brethren, I count not myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do, I forget those things of which behind. He had a lot to forget. Persecuted the church. Um, he says, I reach forth unto those things which are before. And he said, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of Jesus Christ. He totally changed his focus. He had his eyes set on winning the race. He had his eyes set on laying his life down. He had his eyes set on bringing glory to God. That was his pursuit the rest of his life, to live his life in a way that he said, follow after me as I follow after Christ. What a tremendous insight it is to comprehend that he ta it takes vision to see that. You know, it's so easy to be, I'm a Christian, God saved you, you're in love with God, everything's good, I think I'll just kind of like coast along and, you know, don't make this too hard, you know. Um, and here again, he says, um, this is how we should think. What I just read is he tells them, he says, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded and if in anything otherwise you minded, God will reveal this to you. You know, in other words, God 
has a way of tapping you on the shoulder, putting his heart in your heart, putting thoughts in your heart that come from him that he wants you to do because he has a plan for your life. And that's different for everybody. You have different gifts, you have different callings, you have different opportunities, you have different spheres of influence, but he wants to use every one of us to pursue what he apprehended us for. And uh, I'll tell you right now, that will cost you. That will not be the most fun thing you can do every day, but it will be the best thing that you could do, and it will bring you the most fulfillment. Um, you know, it's like, when, uh, it's like, do we see what God has for us? Do we sense God's spirit at work in each one of our lives? Um, you know, the Bible says it many, many ways, but you need vision. And if you're going to see it, it's going to have to be intentional. It isn't just going to fall in your lap often. You're going to have to be passionate. You're going to have to pursue God. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take changing priorities. It's going to take all that you got to find all that God has. And uh, it says, blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. You know, do we have a pursuit, you know, to glorify God, to touch people's lives with the love, with the truth, with the experience that we've found in God ourselves? You know, there's a lot of names that he calls us as Christians. He says, well, you're able ministers, or you're ambassadors, or he might call you co-laborers, or representatives. You know, it's like, what kind of an ambassador or representative are we? Hopefully, we're representing him well. Um... You know, and then he, he says so many things related to this in some of his other books. But I want you to go away and remember and say what he said. He said, I pray that I might apprehend, that I might get a hold of, that I might accomplish in my life what God apprehended me for. That we might fulfill his destiny, his calling, his purpose in each one of our lives. And he has a calling. He has a purpose. He has opportunities. And he said, um, he said, do you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your life. You can't say it much clearer than that. I mean, we are not our own, and we got to remind ourselves sometimes um, of that. You know, Paul knew who he was. He knew his calling. He refers to it often. He said, I'm an apostle for the Gentiles to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And uh, he said it so many different ways. It didn't matter what it cost. It, it didn't even, he didn't even think about that. And... Um, he addresses this in Romans 12 in the first verse. And he, he uses another word that we don't use. But he says, I beseech you, or I beg with you, I'm pleading with you, by God's mercy, that you offer yourself 
as a living sacrifice that you'd surrender to his lordship. And then he, he slips this in. Oh, and by the way, that's a reasonable request. That's not too much to ask. You know, like when he says, whoa, wait a minute, you're asking. No, no, I'm not asking too much. He says that's a reasonable request that you would offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And then he says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be squeezed into its mold and be just like the rest of the world. But he says, let God transform you or renew you or change you into a new person by the way that you think. And then the tremendous promise. And he says, you will find the will of God. That's the only way you're going to find it. It's almost like one, two, three, four, um, and the fifth one is the reward. But no offering yourself as a living sacrifice, no renewing your mind, no putting yourself on the altar, and uh, it's going to be hard to find the will of God because the will of God is contrary to your flesh. It's completely contrary. And, uh, and he says, when you find the will of God, it'll be perfect. It'll be fulfilling. It'll be everything that you're looking for. So that's a good reason to do it. Because most of us, me included, I've tried other ways. It don't work. I had never found what I was looking for until I began to really surrender my life to the Lord. And uh, it wasn't always easy. He says things like, he says, for me, I rejoice, even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God, and I want you all to share in that joy. What a tremendous statement. I count it a privilege. I'm glad he poured my life out. He says, preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. He says, I'm compelled by God to do it. He says, how terrible if I didn't preach. You know, he says things like this over and over. Compelled. The love of God can compel you to do things that you would never do for any other reason. The love of God can get you to do things that only his love can do because you love him and he loves you. And what he's compelling you to do is always the best thing, the right thing for you and for his kingdom. Most of you know what I'm talking about. He compels you by love to change the way you act, think, do, represent yourself because he has this way of saying, you know, it's kind of like your wife when she gives you that look, or she can give you that look. You know what that is. God has a way of communicating by his spirit to affirm or to convict of what you're doing and what you're thinking. 
He was compelled. He was gripped with love for God and love for people. And that's his plan for each one of us, that we are compelled to live for God, to love God, to love people. You know, he says, may you have the power to understand, as all God's people, how wide, how long, and how deep is his love. God help us to comprehend God's love for us, for others, and how he wants to use us to be somebody, to show somebody his love. You know, in Acts, when he's thinking about going to Jerusalem, you know, they're warning him, don't go. They'll kill you if you go. Uh, his friends were like weeping, begging. And he says to him, why all this weeping? He says, you're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be jailed in Jerusalem, but I'm ready to die for the sake of Christ. That's how much he was compelled by the love of God to go and preach those unsearchable riches of Christ. He said, he's present troubles. He says, <laughs> he says, they're small. They won't last very long. But they'll produce in us something that will last forever. What a vision. What a heart. You know, he did not, he did not flinch in going through things. What an example for us. And he apprehended each one of us by his love for a purpose. You know, it says he created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we could go do those good things that he planned for us. You know, and Paul prayed some incredible prayers. And I'll read just a couple verses of one of the prayers that he prayed. He says, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding so you might grow in your knowledge of God. And he said, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the wonderful future he has promised to you, each one of us. He said, I want you to realize what a rich and glorious inheritance he has given and will give to his people. And he says, and I pray that you begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for each one of us that believe. If you believe and you do what God's calling you to do, he's there to help you to make a way to make it possible. And, um, you know, it could, you could say, what is our thing that we're to apprehend? To be a disciple to be a witness, to be a servant, a living sacrifice, to hear God's voice, to be led by the Spirit, to see and seize the opportunities, the divine appointments that come our way. But you gotta be praying, you gotta be ready, you gotta be anticipating, you gotta be willing, because um, I'd probably say every one of us here We've missed them. They go right by you, and uh, for whatever reason, you're distracted, or you, you just don't do it. But then when you do it, and you find out that you were the answer, you were exactly who God had needed 
right at that moment. You know, he says things to him. He said, you are our epistle. Like, you guys are God's epistle. You're a letter. You're written. You're known and read of all men. People are reading our life every day. You don't even realize it. Um, your life sometimes is the best sermon that they could ever have because they see you kind, loving, caring, humble. You know, it's a sermon. You know, it's like, God, give us a heart that we become men of character, devoted to the truth, godly husband, a godly father, a godly friend, a Christ-like example. That's what he apprehended us to be, to be a light, to love, to give, to encourage, to pray, to be an answer to someone else's prayer. What a, what a privilege when each one of us can be the vessel that God uses to touch somebody else's life. Hopefully, we live in a way that our cup is running over. You know, that the fruits of the Spirit are abounding. And that we're being led by the Spirit. A willing vessel to be used whenever, wherever, however. And that we stand for the truth. That we exemplify our Lord and our Savior, that they see Christ in us. I want to share a couple verses as we close. You know, and he closes this whole book after writing the whole book of Philippians, you know, and he always addresses any, anybody how much he loves them, how much he cares, how they're in their heart. And he, and, he fin and he finishes with grace and mercy and peace. But in this verse, he says, he says, be full of joy. Be considerate in all you do. He said, remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Now, this is the third time he's telling them how to think. He says, tell God what you need and thank him for what he has did, done. And then he says, you will experience God's peace and it will guard your heart and mind if you do this. What a promise. What a promise. And he says, fix your thoughts on what is true and unhonorable and unright and unjust and pure and lovely and admirable. Think on these things. 
that are excellent and worthy of praise, and the peace of God will be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would help each one of us to have a passion, a desire to apprehend, to pursue, to get a hold of whatever it is that you have for us in any area of our life, God, that we would offer ourselves to you to be a vessel, to honor you, to be that husband, to be that father, to be that friend, whatever it might be, that we would be used, that we would be led by your spirit as your vessel. We surrender ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on. Come on, that was good. When uh, Pastor Merle, when you were when you were going through and you read Philippians, uh, where it talks about in uh, three thirteen, where it says, "Forgetting what is behind, looking forward to what lies ahead," and then you know, he and then he goes into uh, like, "I press on for that thing that which." I have been apprehended. I love that imagery you gave of like, <laughs> I imagine like grabbing the neck, and like yanking back. Um, you know what's what's sad is so many men go through life trying to grab their identity from the things that the world gives when the world can't give you identity. We try to do it. We try to do it with Things, stuff, people, money, whatever it is, fame, we try to grab onto this identity. When God's like, and, and I think God was speaking, obviously God was speaking through, um, you got something else for it? <laughs> uh, let, me, let me wrap up this thought. I think God was speaking through Paul because I think what Paul's leading to is like, stop trying to get your identity from your past Amen. and look to your future for your identity. You know, one of the things that he tries to do with any of us, con- condemn you shame you, put guilty on you, remind you of the mistakes you've made in the past. And he said what to do. Forget those things that are behind. They're done. They're gone. It's over. Do not let those things identify who you are. I'm a child of the king. I'm redeemed by his blood. I am more than a conqueror. He leads me in triumph. I mean, there's hundreds of verses that says who we are. Come That's on. not me anymore. That guy is dead. Come on. Pastor Merle, would you lead us in a confession of that real quick? If I have everyone stand up, just sure. confessing who we are in Christ. Amen. Lord, we just thank you that your verdict on each one of us is that we are not guilty. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. We are washed white as snow. And God, your promises is that you go before us You provide for us. You make a way. You lead us in triumph. And God, we thank you that we are the sons of the Most High God. And we thank you that there is nothing too hard for you. And that you're for us. That you're with us. You know, it's like it says. He says, if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, how would he not also freely give us all things? Whatever you're going through. Whatever you need help with, he wants to help you. He wants to help you. He's there. 
That's who he is. He is a redeeming, delivering, restoring God in Jesus' name.